This TSN 1040 podcast is powered by Metro Ford. The deal you've been waiting for is on now. Ford employee pricing. Details at MetroMotors.com. Time to go rink wide on TSN 1040. Coming up this week on Rink Wide. Obviously, back back to backs are tough, and you know, when it comes to pushing that hard, it, it gets tough. And um, Marky made some big saves for us, and um, that's the result of why we won that game. The Vancouver Canucks will end their road trip in victorious fashion to improve to six and three. You know, it just shows you play full 60 minutes, anything can happen, and uh, you know we turned it on at the right time, and, and we were able to uh, get a lot of goals there. Nicholas Forhean carry brings it off the inside of the post, and the Washington Capitals win. I don't think the guys on the bench realize that they just won this. And they are pumped. We did a lot of good things. I mean, we're pissed off that we lost the game. We outshoot a team like that, 32 to 22. 12 shots in the last two periods when they're pushing. Uh, no, we should be pissed off we lost. We played a good game and lost. Now, here's J.D. Berg and Andrew Wadden. Yeah, welcome to Rinkwide. It's the show that always scores. Andrew Wadden alongside J.D. Burke here for the next two hours. It's wall-to-wall hockey talk, hockey, hockey, hockey. And we're going to welcome in uh, Travis Yost in the first hour from TSN in Toronto, a columnist with uh, TSN.ca. And uh, in the second hour, we're going to do a complete one-hour roundtable. We do it monthly here on Rinkwide, so it's the end of the month. We'll do it with Harmon Dial and Wyatt Arndt, of course, from The Athletic in Vancouver. Also from The Athletic in Vancouver and Elite Prospects is my boy J.D. Burke. J.D., welcome. Thanks for having me. Well, it's your show, so... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, last night... Oh, let's get into the poll question, and then I'll ask all you right, All right, night, all right. Let's start there. So... We're going to do a two-show poll question here mm-hmm. because it's Canucks-related, so why not? Mm-hmm. And it's a brilliant poll question. I came up with it. Last mm-hmm. night's Canucks game was fun or frustrating? Where do you go with that? A little bit of column A, a little bit of column B. Uh, I mean, you've got the loss, of course, and that's going to sting, especially in the shootout. But if and- you... If, sorry to cut you off. But if you're, like, not a fan, like, if you're just a, you know, neutral, watching that game... Some guys living in Long Island up late watching that game. Yeah, maybe not Long Island because the Capitals would be in the, their division. But you know what I'm saying. Yeah, I, I, I get what you're saying. Yeah. I, I, well, there, there is no fandom in it, really. I mean, it's just like one of those things where, I mean, it, it's, it's a tough result, but the team played well and they deserve to win. And that's kind of what you're hoping to see from the team on a regular basis. We've seen them beat a bunch of non-playoff teams. We've seen them beat the Red Wings. We've seen them beat the Kings. We've seen them dunk on lower competition. And then we saw them hold their own against the Washington Capitals last night. And in fact, we didn't just see them hold their own. We saw them push the Capitals to the brink with a five-goal performance that, if not for some shaky goaltending from Jacob Markstrom, and and I'm not trying to make a a sweeping statement here because Markstrom's been amazing on the year, entered last night with a 9.33. You could make a case, and I have, that he's the Canucks MVP of last season. But he, he struggled last night, and he was honest about that in the post game. You could kind of pick that up on him. He, he was not thrilled with his performance. It was a very curt, short uh, press conference, and, and rightly so. I wouldn't be too thrilled 
if I were in his shoes either. I think it's going to be tough for Canucks fans to look at this win as anything uh, that they can build on, but the reality is that it, it really is. I mean, this team won the Cup two years ago. They haven't seen a bunch of roster transformations since. Uh, I, I only see positives out of last night's performance, and, and we're talking about an 82-game season, right? There are going to be nights like that where Jacob Markstrom just doesn't show up to work. There are going to be nights where the team doesn't but we haven't seen many of them yet. And and we know with Jacob Markstrom, based on last season, that he has it in him to be a capable goaltender, to give credible minutes as a number one starter. And I think that he'll bounce back in a big way, and this team will be better for it. Yeah. Uh, right now, 53% of five, just over 500 votes saying frustrating. And, of course, so you know, almost 50-50 here. And, you know, maybe that is, out of those 500 people, maybe, you know, 60% of them, maybe even a little bit higher, are Canuck fans. But I think some of those people that are voting that might be a Canuck fan as well might say, you know what? Screw it. Like, that's that's fun hockey. Like, I'll take that all day. Now, it sucks that they didn't get the two points, and it sucks that they blew a four-goal lead, but at the end of the day, you know, to get ten goals and then in a shootout like that, I mean, that's the kind of NHL that I want to be watching. No, Maybe not night in and night out, but at least a couple of nights a week throughout the league. Well, we're not that far removed from the, the Jason Magna era, right? Like, that's not that far in, in our rear view mirror. Yeah. And this was the exact opposite of that. It, it, it really doesn't matter that they lost in the grand scheme of things. Like, they're playing entertaining hockey. And, and not only are they playing entertaining hockey, they're playing hockey that you can offer for wins in the future. I'm looking at the score and venue adjusted numbers at 5-on-5. Five five. The Canucks outshot the Capitals. They had more unblocked shots. They had more expected goals yesterday. I mean, this is a good performance undone by good, or sorry, by bad goaltending. I think it really is that simple. And yeah. and, and you want to take it a step further. Once you get into the shootout, that's an entirely luck-based venue of, of play. And so, I mean, like, it, to me, it's a tie. And they outplayed them. They deserved a better result. And I think over the course of time, performances like these will translate into better results. I, I just think that nights like this are going to happen occasionally and the team has to fight through them, and they'll be better for it in the long run. Does it bother you that the Canucks weren't able to put the you know the nail in the coffin, so to speak, to stop no. the bleeding when it was when it was happening? No, I mean like they were weak goals. Like they yeah. they didn't get yeah, two slap shots. Jeff Patterson just talked about it. They didn't two get slap shots in their zone. Kept, you're not going to see. Yeah, like this wasn't the New York Rangers yeah. a week ago and where the entire third period was like a, a penalty kill. Yeah, and then Jacob is, Markstrom saved their bacon in that one. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. This yeah. is just. Two bad goals. Yeah. Well, three if you add the, the short the shorty as well. Yeah, that yeah, that's true. And there was a mental a error, too. Like, nobody really brought this up. But what was Bo Horvat doing on that shorthanded goal? Sure. He had, like, the easiest lane to take the puck. And he just was like, nope, I'm going to take Garnet Hathaway's body. And, and that is it. And it was the strangest thing I've ever seen. Because the play is happening at one mile per hour. Mm-hmm. And you could see Bo Horvat taking the wrong route the entire time. Uh, that was just a, a bad read by, by Horvat accentuated by the fact that somehow Markstrom didn't pick up that puck that was rolling at one mile an hour. I mean, I I don't see this as a negative. I really don't. I know it stings. I know Canucks fans are going, oh, here they are. They're back again. And I even got my little quip in on Twitter. But in reality... You can't help yourself when it comes to that, though. Oh, well, I'm a funny guy. And it <laughs> funny, was a good tweet. Funny looking, but... Yeah, yeah, yeah. whatever. Uh, all right, so uh, let, me, let me ask you this, then. Um... I want to get into culture with the Canucks, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to throw a curveball here for a minute because the World Series is happening right now. Um, John Tortorella was quoted as saying how he loves the, the overtime and that it's dynamite. 
His, his words. I hate the shootout if this is where you're going. I absolutely this hate it. This is where it. I'm going. It's, so, a, it's an abomination. This is what it's a I, sham. This is what I pose, and, and this is going off of what Torch uh, suggested as well. Why don't we do 10 minutes, three on three? Because the data, or data, uh, suggests that it's over six. What, you don't like that? It's over 60, 60%. Does anybody say it that way? <laughs> like, they say it that is, way is this, in the UK. Is this Star Trek? Like, it's like is, status is data and across the it's table? It's like status and status. Okay. It's like how they say it in the UK. Anyway. Okay. Um, so 60%, I believe it's over, like 65% of games get solved in the three on three to five minutes. Yeah. So if we adjusted that, added five more minutes, that's going to say, what, 80, 85% yeah. of the games. So basically, we're going to have results yep. by doing this three-on-three. Three. I pose this. Ten minutes, three-on-three, three, nothing happens, scrap the shootout, bring back the old-school tie. What's wrong with a tie? Thank you. I don't get this. Thank like, you. Like, uh, uh, like why, does, why, why does a team get two points in a freaking coin flip? Because... Tell me I'm wrong. The shootout is a coin flip. No, it 100% is. The equivalency, and, and I'm going to be a football fan again here, is having quarterbacks throw footballs through tires to decide who wins a Super Bowl. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like, totally. I, I don't see the difference because this isn't reflective of the team. Yeah. It's an individualized skill contest. It's, yeah. a, it's a joke. Yeah. I hate it. And listen, guys, if you're, if you're hearing this right now, maybe you've got a different opinion. Why don't you text us at 104040 or live at tsn1040.ca. Shoot, we could take a phone call as well. I know Mike and Langley's probably listening. He'll have, the, he'll, have, he'll have the data. 604-280-1040-844-876-1040. That one's toll free. Hit us up. But yeah, no, I, 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 I want to see more three-on-three. Three. I use this analogy all the time. Put it in my veins. I love it. Yep. Right? And if it's Shoot gonna, it between if, my toes. If we're going to see... That's kind of weird. If we're going to see 85% of the games get wrapped, <laughs> I know you, I know what you're talking about. Uh, you're downtown <laughs> east side. I know you live there, so that's where you're going. Damn but right. if, if the games, you know, if we're going to see 85% of games get solved in the three on three, then giddy up. Why don't they do it? Anyway, I don't get it. I, I know I, there's pushback for ties. I know that. Like, I, I don't think that there's a single league in professional sports that is more out of touch with its fans than the NHL. Oh, yeah. Preach. Like, I, I don't even think this is an, a, a controversial opinion. Like, just completely no. out of touch. I mean, what is Green Day, their musical act for this year or yeah. something? Like, yeah. uh, come on. You know, I mean, like, I, I'm going off tr off track here, but that to me just speaks to the disconnect between uh, Gary Bettman and and the fans and the people who are actually making this a solvent business. So, I, I I don't know. It's just like other leagues have a tie, and it's not a big deal. Why can't the NHL and, yeah, get back to that point? And again, it's like I brought this up earlier. Is that you know when you look at the best shootout performers in the league, they're not even the, the star players. They're not even the McDavid's. They're not even the Crosby's. Like you get you random guys. Was it? Um, oh, I'm drawing a blank on the guy's name right. But my point is this: like I want to see Miss Oland. Yeah, I want to see the stars perform. Yeah, right. UC like Okanen as well. UC Okanen, that's the name I'm looking for. I want to see the stars perform. Let them perform in the three-on-three. -three. The games are going to get solved. LB and North Van in the inbox right now saying, massive agree. I stood in the living room for three-on-three -three last night, then went to the kitchen to do dishes for the shootout. Because you may as well. Right? Like, it's like, well, at this point, I might as well just flip a coin. Yeah, and we got another comment here be. from another listener. I usually don't agree with J.D. Burke. Sorry about that. You'll come around after he blocked me on Twitter. But I would agree 
A team game should be decided by a team effort, three-on-three overtime for 10 minutes makes more sense than the shootout. Please sign your text, people. You see that new one that just came in as well? Yeah. I hate that the shootout decides the extra point. No, I'm talking about the one, what's wrong with Green Day, D-head? Well, nothing's wrong with Green Day. Just, I, I get your point there, though. Like, they're a little out of touch. Like, when was the last time Green Day was I, relevant? Why, why don't we have Alice in Chains be the band for I the NHL? Too? I like well, Alice I mean, in Chains. come on. Like, how do you do, fellow kids? I hear you. I like, hear you. I hear we're, we're going off a little bit now. Okay, let's get back on track. Culture change. We did hear uh, Moj asked an incredible question in the post game last night to Travis Green. Travis Green acknowledged it as well. It's you know basically saying, "Listen, last year you guys have been all right with this in terms of you know escaping with a point against a team that won the Stanley Cup." I guess last year would have been the previous year's Stanley Cup winner, but now they're they're pissed off about it, and I think the fan base feels this way as well. If you listen to the arena last night, there there's something is changing right now. The fans are are chanting. They're getting into it. People are getting behind this team. They're not settling with the disappointment of a game where you just scrapped out a a one point after being up four goals. So, you know, the culture change, I know it's cliche, but it's like legitimately happening right now with this Canucks team. Yeah, I I think so. And... Yeah, that's that's bound to happen, and that's just part of the evolution of this team. I mean, but is it though? Because some people talk about it, but then it doesn't actually happen. When you make the uh, additions that they made, some serious, you know, additions that they made, whether it be Myers, Furland, Ben, you know, you name it, you know, guys that they've sent down to Utica that were regulars on this team. You know, people are upset about it. Yeah, and we'll get into that later on. But I'm saying is that you can preach culture change. But to be able to actually have it happen, that's what we're seeing with this Canucks team right now. Well, and, and Harmon is going to have a lot to say on this because I know the, he's been on this beat for a while, but it happens top down. And the best players on the Canucks are also the best leaders on the Canucks. And, you know, you talk about Elias Pettersson, somebody who is never satisfied. He just had one of the best rookie seasons in memory. What do you know? He changes his skate profile because he didn't think that he turned well enough. Mm-hmm. You know, and that kind of relentless drive, it's really easy to follow that guy as a standard bearer as opposed to in years past having Eric Good- Branson or or Brandon Sutter, these guys who were just flown in out of nowhere to be the standard bearers, the leaders, guys who can't complete a pass. Now they have people who are actually worth listening to. Yeah. Now they have people that can follow through on the demands that they place on others. And I think that makes a difference. Inbox is getting active here. The shootout is the equivalent of deciding the Masters by dumping a bucket of balls on the putting green. Best of 25 wins at Sean and Nanaimo. It's a good point. Hassan and Burnaby. Game would have been fun if it was back and forth. 6-5 loss. Not a collapse. Green costs us the game with its obsession with bottom six players. In what world is Mott versus Ovi a good match? Matchup, wake up! Well, I, I, I'm going to push back on that. I actually you am. get drunk on what? Uh, no, God, no. Okay. Uh, this isn't, not yet, this not isn't yet. Drance, okay? Let's, let's be clear. Oh, don't I, worry. I, I got something for you. Oh, boy. Uh, but no, I mean, the Canucks' best players played the most with the lead. This isn't a situation where Jay Beagle was over the boards every other shift. Like, the data shows, and it's clear as day, that the Canucks' best players played the most. This isn't a case of the team losing. This is a case of a couple of lucky goals stealing a victory from the... Sorry, stealing defeat from the jaws of victory. Gotcha. And it's, it's just that simple. Like, don't overthink it. I like this one. It's unsigned, but I like it, though. 
Whole building stands up when there's a shootout. Fans love it. It's only the diehard hockey fans that are against it. The league is trying to appeal to a broader fan base. And I think that is the argument you will get from Bar- or Gary and company. Yeah, and, and I'll disagree with it. <laughs> no, and, and, and you're absolutely right, too. You're absolutely right to do so. Actually, you know what? I'll, I'll take it a step further. I don't... I don't think he's necessarily wrong. I just think it's the wrong track. Gotcha. Uh, Canucks have the Florida Panthers in town on Monday. I put this out as a, uh, no, I think it was the Friday fortune teller, which is basically just hot takes. Same damn thing. (laughs) You're telling on yourself. Yeah, I'm telling on my own show. But anyway, um, I said that there would be a leaked report on Monday that Roberto Luongo will be in the building on Monday to celebrate the 50th anniversary with, of course, his ex-team being in town. It's the only time of the year they're here. Could you see it? No. And I'll tell you why. Okay. Does anybody else think it's weird that Francesco Aquilini, who has his social media team comment on everything, has been decidedly silent on the Roberto Luongo situation? Has anybody else noticed that? Mm Mm-hmm. Not a single word on the best goaltender in Canucks history. Don't think that's peculiar? Trevor I, I Linden do. not being there on opening night was kind of peculiar, too, don't you think? Yeah, well, but I, I think, I, that I was think on, we know why that's but, but that was case. on Trevor. That, I mean, he has to wear some of that because he was... Well, that one was also acrimonious. Like, that was publicly and visibly an acrimonious sure. split. I mean, yeah. this one is more you're divining what's happening behind the scenes. And I personally, and this is just a hunch, okay, so don't go running with this Twitter or whatever, but I think that there's a sense among some people in the Canucks organization that what Luongo did retiring was a favor for the Panthers at the expense of the Canucks. And it was. And it hurt the Canucks. And it was. But at the same time... The, the, the Canucks should never have been disciplined for what happened. I mean, look at the look, look what happened in New Jersey. You're right, speaking with the whole in a rational tone. Yeah, exactly. You know, <laughs> you but, know. but at the same time, too, the Canucks should have did their diligence and fought against it. They should not have to wear that cap, uh, uh, what is it called, cap retrieval? Is cap that? recapture. Recapture, excuse me. No, it, it's dumb. It's post hoc. It's, it's absolute garbage. But I... I don't I, I think to me that it is so strange that Aquilini, who can comment on literally everything, has had yes, yeah, yeah. nothing to say yeah, on the long. There's definitely something to it. Like, definitely something to it. I would love. How great would it be? I mean, like I said, you know, you've got this fan base right now. Uh, it's kind of the perfect storm because of the fact that they are, you know, in the 50th season. Sorry, Don Taylor. I know you like to go against that, but you know, they're celebrating their 50th season right now. You know, you've got you know the way they trotted out, and I know having. Trevor not at that first game. Yeah, that was disappointing, but it is what it is. I still think they did a great job with that whole ceremony, uh, you know, getting Bo Horvat the captaincy. But as this season progresses and we get, you know, to celebrate the 50 years, uh, the colorful background and all that that they talk about, that it would be the perfect idea to bring Louie out, especially with this Panthers team. But, you know, maybe there are some old wounds that uh, they don't want to open up again. We'll have to see. Uh, the inbox getting pretty in- into this right now in terms of the discussion about the shootout and the three-on-three. This one's unsigned. I kind of understand that argument about the shootout, uh, but if they think that is fun, wouldn't it be more fun to have more three-on-three? I definitely agree with that. This is uh, Lloyd from Langley. Hate, hate, 
hate the freaking shootout. A, a team sport decided by basically one guy, the goalie, uh, go back to a tie after 10 minutes of three-on-three, three, which is, of course, uh, something that you and I are, are getting behind there as well. Again, you know, maybe it is the, the, the case that they want to appeal to a broader fan base. Maybe it is the case that, you know, they have to have a winner and or a loser. Uh, that remains to be seen. I mean, again, the NHL has never been one to be ultimately too progressive, and if they are, it usually takes takes them 10, 15 years before they finally do solve that. Uh, that'll have to be seen as well. Uh, on the other side, we're going to talk to Travis Yost. But before we get to that, I want to run something by you right now, okay? All right. This is from the morning show. Mm-hmm. They took a bit of a dig at you. Did they? In terms of Tyler Mott. Oh, wow. All right. did so, this happen? Croker, you got it ready? Let's hear this. Are people getting dunk, uh, drunk on Tyler Mott? I mean, I am. You've been drunk on Tyler Mott since last year. You know what? I mainly do it to annoy J.D. Burke. Like, I, I like Tyler Mott's hustle. I like his speed. And in some ways, there are some times that he reminds me of another player that I really enjoyed as a Canuck, and that is a young Yannick Hansen. Like, I, there are times. But I don't think, like, I'm not sitting there going, like, Tyler Mott is this great hockey player. Mm-hmm. I mostly do it to annoy J.D. Burke. And I feel like that is a worthwhile pursuit. Yeah. I agree. Right? Like, if you can say something that you know J.D. Burke is sitting there going, like, Goldman's down in the AHL. Tyler Mott is on the team. My numbers suggest this should be different. Like, that's something you want to embrace. Is it not? It is. You so see, that's that's well, what guys, I sound like, folks. You should look. You should see the the look on JD's face uh, while that whole thing was going down. All right. So uh, your rebuttal, please, sir. <laughs> I like good hockey players. <laughs> what about the Yannick Hansen comparison? Garbage. Absolute garbage. Yeah. There is no evidence to back that up whatsoever. That is one of the dumbest things I've ever what heard. What about the eye test, though? The eye test tells bruff. I don't watch hockey. It's useless. I'm kidding. I'm I'm practically a scout in my other line of work. I mean, of course it has value. I just think that most people's eye test sucks. So you're not getting drunk. You're not getting drunk. I'm, I love I love when JD's makes himself just appeal to the audience so much more, right? I mean, you know, just telling them how much better he is than others. Yeah. Tyler Mott, though. You, you're not. You're not going to get drunk on Mott. Has he not? Has I'm he not, not sipping this, diet this Mott. Fourth, I'm not sipping Mott light. This <laughs> this fourth line right now. It's fine. It but no been better than fine. They're cromulent. They exist. Like it's it's like most, I did not see this happening this it's year. It's the most expensive fourth line I, in I, hockey. I described yeah, get over that. I described the fourth line as gross when I first saw the lineup this year. You know what? I'm, you, I'm, I'm, I'm walking that back now. Give me ten million dollars, I will build a good fourth line. Well, uh, yeah, I mean I can see that. You know, I, what? but Jay Beagle's ex team in, in, in time, he had some jump last night. He was ready to give it to the boys. Sure. He well, was fine. What would you do ultimately? And we can talk about this a little bit further because we are going to get into a segment about Utica. But ultimately, right now, who would you swap in and swap out if you could? I would have Sven Berchi in that lineup, and I would have uh, Tyler Mott in the press box. And I would put Jake Vertanen on that fourth line. I would put Sven Berchi on the third line. You're cooking with fire. You might actually have a top nine instead of a team that has a third line, which is a revolving door of of zero identity and, and just as much effectiveness. No, I think that Sven Berchi should be on this team. Gotcha. 
All right. So the uh, get over to TSN 1040, at TSN 1040 on Twitter. I want to hear uh, what you guys think about our poll question. We asked you last night's Canucks game was fun or frustrating. Over 500 votes right now. 53% of you are saying frustrating. All right. On the other side, we're going to head to the center of the universe. We're going to talk to Travis Yost. He has a great piece up on TSN.ca uh, about the Canucks top line and how elite they are. Keep it locked right here. It's the show that always scores rink-wide on TSN 1040. Dobin's down in the AHL. Yeah, no. Tyler Mott is on the team. My numbers suggest this should be different. Thank you, Croker. That's a sizzler. All right, let's bring Travis Yost into the conversation here. Travis got a great piece on TSN.ca. Canucks top line dominating the competition. Uh, came out a couple days ago on .ca. Travis, uh, you, you've done the, the data, so to speak, about this Canucks top line. And we, of course, you know, waxing on there about Quinn Hughes. But, man, this top line right now of the Canucks, Elias Patterson, Brock Besser, JT Miller, they are something else right now. It, it, they're unbelievable. And to me, like, say what you will about this 25-year Canucks rebuild, but, like, the the way that you progress forward is, like, you start to see your top lines and your top pairings really starting to produce, especially when you think about, like, the rebuild cycle. Generally speaking, like, you don't build from your third and fourth line up. It's usually the reverse way. And, usually, and the reason why is superstars, even in the NHL, tend to drive wins and losses. And where Vancouver had struggled in the last few years was because they just didn't really have those, either they had high-end players and nothing complimenting them, or they, they really couldn't put together a, a five-man unit that, that was credible enough to outscore their opponents. And, you know, it, the use play, it was unbelievable. But if you if you think about a credible pairing, Behind this Miller line, Vancouver now has a, a their top five man unit is as good as at least half of the top five man units in the league, and to me, that's what gives Vancouver some real credibility in in this divisional race. I mean, if you look in the Pacific, it like Vegas is clearly the favorite, and yet they got waxed last night, and everything else is like I don't really know where these teams sit, and to me. That's that's maybe the most encouraging thing here for Vancouver is you made a big gamble, but JT Miller has integrated himself extremely well. He clearly has a complementary skill set to two snipers in Pedersen and Besser, who I think benefit from one another. And now you're in a division where a the, the P word, the playoff discussion, is not crazy. I mean, I, there hasn't been a lot of wow-type hockey in that division. And even the one team that's gotten off to a hot start in Edmonton, their underlying numbers are, are, are much, much worse than their record would indicate. I, I, I mean, it, it's hard not to be at least moderately excited in Vancouver right now. Now, of course, like I said, you run the numbers. You like to do the analytics of the of everything. Um, Patterson, Besser, Miller. Is it sustainable between the three of them? Why not? I mean, there is there are there is a, a good argument, and it seems like every year we get two or three lines where it's like. Where did that line come from? And it, generally speaking, they tend to sustain results. And one of the things that I that I really impart on people is, like, it's not like we're dealing with incredibly small samples of data for these three. And yes, well, I agree, their on ice goal differential, uh, the, the the Miller line, is astronomically high right now. You're also talking about seven, eight total on ice goals. There have been hundreds of shots on the ice with this line out there, and that five man unit out there more specifically. And they're out shooting and out chancing their opponents about on a 60-40 split. I mean, you, you tend to only see that from the truly elite lines in the NHL. 
And I'll, the last time I had this conversation where a line came out of the complete blue, and it was like, yeah, it's not sustainable. You know, I heard a lot of it's not sustainable. Was the Jonathan Marshall line the first year it was formed in Vegas, and it was an extremely similar, heavy play driving, complementary skill sets, play an extended amount of time in the offensive zone. Where has that line went? Uh, they've been great for three years now. I like to me, I, they, they, and that is maybe the biggest surprise in this in this whole ordeal. I, I JT Miller is a very good player. I, there was a knock about him whether. Whether he should have commanded the type of picks that that Vancouver sent to Tampa Bay for him, just because the, the, their lofty point totals hadn't been there for Miller yet. But one of the big selling points, and maybe I understated it, maybe we all did. Um, Miller is a very, very good playmaker, and if you have a playmaker with guys who are really good at putting the puck in the back of the net, and you have two of them in Pedersen and Besser, you start turning those shots and scoring chances into actual goals, and that that is what has been missing. Even when Pedersen and Besser were playing really well earlier in their careers, which is, is comical to say, but you, you, point point made, um, they they didn't drive these insane goal differentials that you, that you're kind of seeing right now. So I, for as much as I think Miller is benefiting from them, I think the reverse is true too. Rink White on TSN 1040. We're joined by Travis Yost of TSN.ca talking about his article on the dominance of the Canucks top line through the early portion of the season. And the question on my mind isn't whether the Canucks top line is going to be full value over the, the, the full course of the 82-game season and even beyond that. I think the question is, do they have enough behind them to be a credible playoff contender? And you look at last year's results, and Harmon Dial did a piece on this for the Athletic Vancouver. The Canucks had a top 10 top line in the NHL last season, and it wasn't good enough to vault this team into the postseason. What are you seeing from yeah, the bottom well, six? Yeah. Like, do you think that's a good enough group to kind of vault this team or buttress the top six en route to a playoff spot? Mm, no, or maybe not yet is the right answer. Um, one of the hidden notes in the piece I wrote Thursday is I also looked at Vancouver's on-off splits with their top line, and let's be clear. Every team in the league, if they have a decent or better top line, gets better results from their top line than their bottom than their bottom three lines, right? It's the same thing with the first pairing versus second or third pairing. You expect a delta in performance. The problem is when that top line is off the ice, Vancouver's getting like 42-ish percent of the shots, um, 44% of the scoring chances. That There's no way that is going to be good enough. Um, and, and maybe, though, that offers up an opportunity for, for Jim Benning and the rest of this Canucks front office where it's like, Hey, I think we may have struck gold with this front line. And even if they regress to some degree, we, we have real credibility at the top of our lineup. What bottom six forwards are out there right now? What second pairing guys may be out there that I might be able to drive a little bit more performance from the depth of my lineup? Because again, you know, even in a league where half the teams make the playoffs, look at, look around at the teams that either consistently make the playoffs or make the playoff runs. The word deep, I'm, I'm overemphasizing here, but it's very, very, very hard to win when you have one line and one pairing. I, I don't know how many examples. I think we're on page like 400 of that book uh, in terms of examples of top-heavy teams really struggling to, to sustain winning ways long-term. It's a, it's a concern for Vancouver. And the bright side, though, is those tend to be, especially if you have any, you know, a, a more elevated, analytical, savvy organization, those tend to be the players that you can kind of spot target, whether it's at the trade deadline or even prior where maybe they're not great scorers per se, but they, you know, they're they're fantastic at flipping the zones. Um, they're great in the neutral. They're great defensively. It, it's not hard to find those type players. Uh, but to, to Vancouver's point, I think you probably need at least two of these guys sprinkled out through the lineup if you would expect 
if you want to see some degree of change, uh, I, I do like the big split. I will exist, and Vancouver right now I will be an averageish team for as long as they currently have these on off on off numbers. But if they can actually improve the, the depths of their lineup, they can they can legitimately chase one of those three spots in the Pacific. Speaking with Travis Yost from TSN.ca, Travis, one of the players that's always been an interesting one to look at from an analytics perspective is is Michael Furland because he profiles like one of these these road pavers that would get uh, I don't know their, their value pumped up beyond its actual on ice contributions in years past. But when you look at the data, it would show that Michael Furland is actually a pretty solid complementary piece, and he'd done that with Calgary, he had done that with Carolina, he struggled to do that in Vancouver. Have you seen any sort of trends when you observe his data that would suggest that uh, there's a chance he'll bounce back? Is is this the player he's been all along? What are your thoughts on his early season struggles with the Canucks? Yeah, I, I think I think you need more time with Furland. And, and one of the one of the biggest arguments here, like th- this is a great thing where I think people think numbers numbers guys don't like big you know big bodies, more physical type players. Uh, Michael Furlan has been a fantastic player in his career. A, a consistently undervalued player in his career. Does Vancouver want to hear that right now? No, he's off to a slow start. It is what it is. Uh, his, his game isn't there right now. But I, I think one of the things that you can hang your hat on is the more the more data and the or the more games that you have logged that you have shown that you are a credible middle six forward. Uh, the the longer of a leash you should have, right? Because generally, not always, but generally, more often than not, these type of players bounce back, and a lot of it tends to be with. Who are they playing with? Um, what what areas of the lineup are they playing? Do they have the trust of their coach? What type of minutes are they getting? And you can kind of go through the list of it. And, and one of the things that is going to be a challenge for Vancouver, not to harp on the depth point, but when you have great guys, I mean, Vancouver has front-loaded their top line, understandably. Now they have a fantastic first line. And then you start looking around the rest of the lineup, and it's like, eh, there's just not a lot of talent there. And unless you are a true star in this league, and even, even to the extent that you are a star in the league in some cases, players benefit from playing with one another. And, you know, the overarching word of chemistry uh, applies. But chemistry to me is like, hey, you know, the, the, the most logical example is I want to put playmakers with snipers. Snipers want guys to carry the puck and do the defensive work. And playmakers want snipers because they are fantastic shooters, whether it's from the dots or the high slot or wherever we're talking about. That, that, that exists and has existed in pro- for the last, I don't know, 100 years of hockey. The thing to me with Furland is when you have a player who's not the best skater, um, he's a more crash-and-bang type physical player, you're going to want to find that, – that is the exact type of player where you need to find a real sweet spot in terms of his teammates. I would expect that Vancouver keeps tinkering with that um, for, for a fairly extended period. It's not like they're, they're bought into Furland forever, but it, it was, you know, in the same breath – you know this guy has a track record of generally producing, so you've got to find you got to keep going through the rotation to see what works. Well, Travis, uh, great stuff. Uh, thanks for joining us today. Uh, we'll definitely have you back on uh, in the show and enjoy the hockey this weekend. Of course, outdoor game tonight in Regina. The hockey world all focused on that. I'm being a little bit tongue-in-cheek when I say that, but uh, <laughs> enjoy the, uh, the hockey action tonight. All right, guys. Take care. Travis Yost joining us from TSN.ca. And yeah, I did say that a little tongue-in-cheek because I think this is a game that kind of snuck up on all of us in terms of, hey, there's an outdoor game tonight. But that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the Canucks uh, top line dominating and some good stuff there from Travis. I'm wondering, though, and there are some people in the inbox right now that are suggesting that, uh, well, there are a couple people that are saying that, hey, where's Sven Berge? Get him up here. Where's Goldie? Get him up here. They want to start to get, you know, more production. Um, I'm starting to wonder, though, if JT Miller 
is better to be moved off that top line so you're not putting so much on the top line to produce when he's throwing out data like you know 40% of the shots that they're getting on you know are, are towards them um, when the Canucks are on the ice, when it's not the top line, so you know maybe there is some something that, to that, right? That's, that's what I've been advocating for, and I'm not like trying to pat my back by any means because JT Miller's been excellent on that first line, and and who would who would in their right mind complain about that? But I mean, I I do think that the best iteration of this forward group has JT Miller centering that third line, Brandon Sutter on the fourth line, Sven Berchi back up on the third line. Like I think they're a long ways away from the best forward configuration that they can create with the players available to where, them. Where, so where, do, where would Gaudette fit in this for you? Are you the kind of guy that thinks one more, that, you know, like a full season, that is, of seasoning in the AHL? Or is it, you know, hey, he's better served to be, you know, the 3C on this team. Maybe, well, maybe not the 4C because I think Jay Beagle's got that solidified. But is he mm-hmm. better, better, you know, maybe Brandon Sutter, perhaps, maybe you move on, maybe you scratch him. They've I mean, the, the data on, on, Satter, on Sutter, Sutter is horrible. Like, they've got to find a taker. He is the the obstacle to creating the best forward lineup. And I'm not trying to, to put him down as a player, but I just don't think he fits with this team. Like, the Canucks have Brandon Sutter on their fourth line. His name is Jay Beagle. Yeah. You, do you know what I yeah. mean? And, yeah. and I think that a market would exist for Brandon Sutter. I think he's just the right mix of, of movable... And and kind of an obstacle to getting to the point where this team needs to be, and oh. it, and it's not like I'm trying to drive them out of town. But yeah. the team is in a cap crunch. They got to figure some stuff out long term, and I think they're best served without them. Yeah, and the funny thing is, is that we forget that you know Roussel's only what maybe a month, month and a half away from returning to this lineup as well. So there's another you know player that they're going to have to fit in, and they got this log jam at forward right now. Uh, somebody in the inbox right now suggested that we ask Travis this and just missed it. So uh, apologies for that, so I'll ask you instead. Um, why is, and it's unsigned, why is Sutter such a line killer? Why everyone who pl- he plays with struggles? Now, I don't know if I'd necessarily say that Besser and Pedersen are struggling this year. I mean, they're putting the points up. What is, I believe Pedersen's over a point a game right now. So would you think that Miller is, you know, bringing them down? Because I don't. I, I don't. Are you sure you read that right? It says uh, why Sutter is such a line killer. Oh, I did read that wrong. Sorry, yeah. Okay, Sutter. yeah, I was confused. Oh, for a my bad, there. my and bad. Yeah, and that one to answer that is just simply he's. I was not, wondering where he was going with that because I'm he, not. Like, he's not a competent points. playmaking center. Like yeah. I think he has value. He's he's a great penalty killer. I even would go so far as to say that he's been okay to start this season and even better than I anticipated coming off of multiple uh, mobility hampering injuries. But I, I just. I don't see a place for him long-term. All right. On the other side, we are going to find places long-term for Sven Berchi and Nikolai Goldobin. We're going to ride the bus to Utica, get you caught up on what's happening with the Comets. This is the show that always scores. It's rink-wide, and it's on TSN 1040. Honestly, the conversation when it comes to Reed Boucher is... It's over. It's He's over. a player. You know, and I did talk to Rick Dollywall during Sports Saturday, and he suggested, you know... Maybe that's what Nikolai Goldobin is as well. Nikolai Goldobin, though, is third in the league in scoring. Reed Boucher leading the league in scoring with 12 points in six games. Uh, Nikolai Goldobin, 10 points in five games. Nine of those are assists. 
And what a Goldie stat line. Yeah, very much. <laughs> like, very much. It's the, it's the reverse Cy Young Award. You know what? I saw a play it. yesterday. He was going in on a rush with the largest of fellas, uh, Zach McEwen, and they had a two-on-one, and Goldie had like a very clean look at the net and just passed it off to McEwen, who was completely like not ready to receive the pass because it was such a clean look that yeah, you like, expect. Dude, what are you doing? Yeah, yeah. yeah it yeah. was a very funny play. Very funny. And, and I mean, him and Sven Berchi have just been toying with, yeah. with AHL competition. Yeah. And you know what, though? The, the thing that I think sticks out the most through this early sample of games, Cole Lind. Cole Lind looks excellent. He is night and day better than he was last season. Yeah, I'm hearing, a, 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 you know, anyone that has been following the comments this year, are they're all saying that right now. Cole Lind, eight points through six games, two goals, six assists. Um, you know, of course, you, you mentioned Zach McEwen, the big fella, as they call him. He's a point-of-game player right now as well. Even Francois Perron, you know, here's a player that, they got yeah. for, like, free, basically. Yeah, had a three-assist game last night. He's got six points in four games. Um, so there's a lot of positives going on right now with um, this Utica Comets team. Ole Levy, four points in six games. He's, he's a dash one on the season, but, I mean, we're not going to let that uh, get in the way of things. Jonah Gadjevich as well. He's been spotty. I, I, gotta admit, I mean, like, you watch these games, right? More than All of them. Yeah, so you, you, you tell us then. Tell the people what's going on with Yule Levy. Well, uh, he's coming back from his second major op- operation, and he's barely 21 years old. But what have you seen in his games, though? I mean, his his hockey sense is sharp as ever. He had a, a, a slap pass assist through the neutral zone that was just... I, I've said this about Ewell Levy before, and I'm going to say it on radio so that it sticks and I can trademark it. But I mean, like, when he is on the top of his game, he is like Neo at the end of the Matrix stopping bullets. You know, when Morpheus says, like, you won't need to dodge bullets? Yeah. That's him when he is at the top of his game. Like, it, it's moving at half speed, and that was the slap pass through the neutral zone. That was him stopping the bullets. Because it's like, nobody sees that play except for him, and he weaves it through three opposing defenders onto his teammate's stick to set up a goal. Uh, but his defensive reads have been a little bit iffy. His his mobility is clearly hindered to this point. Uh, he's a work in progress. I don't think we're going to see what he actually like where he's actually at until we're at about the midway point in December. Do you do you sorry to cut you off, do you do you expect that Yule Levy will play an NHL game this season? Oh, 100%. I, I I think so. If there aren't any injuries, he will play an NHL game this year. What about Brogan Rafferty? Uh, I talked to Rick Dollywall as I mentioned earlier and he he mentioned that uh, Brogan Rafferty seems to be a lot of pro scouts have their eyes on him. Well, he's he's had some great moments. He's had some not so great moments, and and he's a fantastic story because he's overcome blindness in one eye, and and we have to give him his due for that. And I don't want to sound like I'm leveraging that against him, but you do remember when Manny Malhotra was suffering a similar ailment, and the team said we've got to take you off the ice because you can't see players coming out from a certain angle. There was one of those plays yesterday where he was coming out of the corner and he couldn't see or didn't see. Maybe that's it, and I'm overthinking this, Mm -hmm. but he just sends a pass right up the boards to the opposition player that leads to a goal against, and I'm thinking to myself, okay, that's a bit bizarre. How did he not see that? And and you do kind of wonder, like, the the ball starts to get rolling, the the hamster wheel starts turning, but he's also four points, he's also got a plus ten, he's got a good shot. On the balance, he has been quite good. I just wanted to say that yesterday was kind of one of those moments where you had 
pause. And you're going to have pause because sure. it's a first-year pro. Sure. Uh, and guys, I know that plus-minus, some people look at it as a, a bit of a dinosaur sack. It's, it's better than nothing. But uh, right now, you know, you're looking at Josh Tevis leading the team at a plus-13. Brogan Rafferty right behind him at plus-10. Hey, just positives for uh, the Canucks as they look at two youngsters that they got based, well, for nothing because mm-hmm. they're a free agent signed out of college. And you know how those work out uh, looking at you, Chris Tanov, sometimes. All right. On the other side, it's the monthly round table. The Athletic Boys are in the studio. Why and aren't Harmon Dial? One hour. We're going to go around the table. It is the rink wide round table, the monthly edition. So keep it locked right here on the show that always scores. It's rink wide. On TSN 1040. The Hot Wire. TSN 1040 gives you the chance to swoop into Vegas for a Vancouver hockey roadie. All this week, listen for the daily code word on Halford and Brough and Sakaris and Price. Weekly winners will get flights to Vegas courtesy of Swoop Airlines, four nights hotel on the strip courtesy of the Las Vegas Convention and Visitors Authority, plus tickets to catch Vancouver and Vegas on the ice courtesy of VenueKings.com. Full rules and details at tsn1040.ca. Help fund urgently needed equipment at BC Cancer and for a limited time, your donation will be matched dollar for dollar. The equipment BC Cancer scientists require will provide them with the ability to better understand cancers at a molecular level and transform cancer diagnosis and treatment. For details and to give, visit bccancerfoundation.com. TSN 1040 and the BC Lions want to send you to the Grey Cup in Calgary. You could win round-trip airfare, three nights hotel, and two tickets to the Grey Cup at McMahon Stadium. Your chance to win begins Monday. To enter, just go to the Hotwire section at tsn1040.ca. For another way to get to the Grey Cup, just buy or renew your BC Lions season tickets for 2020. Full details at bclions.com. Right now, we should start the show. This is Rink Wide on TSN 1040. Here's J.D. Burke and Andrew Watton. Welcome back to Rinkwide, hour two of the show, and we're going to do an hour-long roundtable. J.D. Burke, myself, Andrew Wadden, joined by Wyatt Arndt and Harmon Dial from The Athletic in Vancouver. Before we get to all of that, and we're going to ask your guys' uh, opinion on this, too. Our poll question today, we're asking you, last night's Canucks game was fun or frustrating? 584 votes right now, 53% of people saying Frustrating, but that's almost 50-50, guys. If I do my math correctly, I never really was all that good. That's why I bring in these boys. I'll start with you, Wyatt. What are your thoughts on that? Do you think that this was a fun or frustrating outing for the Canucks? Yeah, it was a fun game. Like I don't. People are mad. Like I, I mean, I kind of get it, but like. I know this is going to sound very, like, weirdly corporately, but, like, they had a 5-1 lead to give up, which is weird. So I'm yeah. excited they actually had those goals to the give up. The dreaded 5 lead. Yeah, like, they actually <laughs> scored goals, and we're seeing, like, the atmosphere in the building is great, and then the, the, this feels like it, like it reminds me a lot of the, like, 2000 year, like the early West Coast Express days where, yeah. you know, like especially last night where the goaltending wasn't great, but like they have, got, they have some swagger, they've got some offense, you can kind of see the pieces are there, and they're not going to win every night, but, like, yeah. You don't when when they go down a couple of goals, you don't just have to quit. You don't go okay, well it's over. Like they actually have some fight in them. So like, yeah, if you just view it on its own, yeah, it's frustrating they lose that game. But overall, like the season so far has been quite entertaining. Harm. Yeah, I'd say the result looked a lot worse than the process. I mean, at the end of the day, Jacob Markstrom's been their MVP arguably over, well, since December of last season. But this this was one bad period for him. Like, I don't think, I look at that third period, I don't see 
a, a point where the momentum really shifted and certainly the Capitals came at them in waves but you look at how those goals were scored um, the, the the first one in the third period was that was a real, real soft one turnover off the power play breakout and just a, a po- essentially a poke that squeaks through Markstrom's legs um, there's no doubt he wants that one back and then after that it's just two point shots that undeflected go through like at the end of the day, you look at what transpired there. The Canucks only allowed seven shots in that third period. They they, they had more high danger chances. It was four to one in the Canucks' favor in that third period. So to me, I don't look at that. I don't look at that meltdown and, and say from a process standpoint that they um, let things go. The Rangers game was, in fact, the opposite, yeah. where they held on, but they were on the ropes the entire time. It yeah. wasn't like that at all. And so for me, um, and Markstrom said it after the game, he like that one was kind of on him. Uh, and I'm sure he's going to be coming back um, into his next start with a chip on his shoulder because uh, I wouldn't say that that one was really um, a colossal like something to freak out over. Now, while you guys were in the break here, I asked both of you guys at Harm, you were in the build. Were you there last night as well, Wyatt? Uh, no. Okay, so I asked Harm. Uh, the atmosphere in the building, you know, generally most of us sit in the press box, uh, being that we're media members, but I had a chance to sit uh, about five rows up in the corner in the Detroit game, and I I'm, I was looking around and I'm going, you know, these are really expensive seats and there's fans here right now that are like sitting next to me trying to heckle Bernier, you know, guys that are trying to get into it. And then last night I'm watching the game and I'm hearing these chants. And, and I, I said to you when, when, when you came in the studio here, like, do you feel like there's a culture change sort of happening amongst the fan base that's, you know, in the arena right now? Definitely. I've, I've noticed it right from the home opener. Yeah. There was such a buzz for that, especially with the whole captaincy thing. But even last night, um, you, you just watch in that third period after they gave up all those goals and it was not at, up at 5-5. That's one of those games where, where in years past, that building goes quiet. Yeah. But as soon as that fifth goal was scored, the crowd, if anything, it erupted and it tried to give the team uh, the push to, to weather the storm. And, and that's definitely something I haven't seen in a long, long time. Again, I've seen, I've heard a lot of very interesting chants, like in that LA goal, we want 10 yeah. after they had scored eight goals. Yeah. Like there's a different energy, a different vibe. And you can understand why, because you've now got all of the young players, they're leading the charge and, and it's, a, it's an exciting brand of hockey they've got. And for the first time in a long time, they've got a legitimate chance, uh, to compete and contend for a playoff spot. Yeah. Uh, JD, your thoughts on, on that as well. I know we did talk about culture change earlier in the first hour here, uh, but what are you seeing maybe perhaps, you know, uh, an analytics sort of stance that's suggesting that uh, this team is taking that, you know, l- you know proverbial next step? Well, uh, as I often do, I want to take a step back from the analytics side and get back into the, the stadium argument here because I think what you're <laughs> yeah, seeing yeah. right now is a working class audience. Yeah. And, and I'm not trying to go yeah, all true. like Das Kapital on you guys right now, but yeah. you're talking about people who are paying $20 a seat instead of paying 400 sure. or whatever the case is, right? And these are people who are invested in the team. These are people who have been with the team uh, through the lows, of which there have been plenty over the last five years. I think we can all agree. And I think what you're seeing right now is it's a nice mix. The team is is playing relatively well, and the price of tickets haven't necessarily caught up with that, and the stadium environment is much better for it. Now, if you want to talk about what's going differently for the Canucks, you look at a lot of their score and venue-adjusted numbers, you're talking about a team that's 
been in and out of the top 10 for the entire season. I, I, that sounds about right. Uh, for expected goals, for shots, all of the things that I would look at to Auger future success, they're doing well in. And and I don't want to get too carried away in that because I usually withhold any judgment until about the, the 20 game point in the season. We're at about the 10 game point. Mm-hmm. But I'm looking right now. They're 10th in shot attempts. Uh, they're top 10 in goals for as well at 5-on-5. Five five. They're expected goals numbers. Again, you're looking at a team that is in the uh, bottom third of the league, and that speaks to the variance, right? Which is why I'm not getting too invested. And I think those two numbers are going to come a lot closer to each other as the schedule moves along and we get to game 20, 30, 40, something like that. Wyatt, uh, someone in the inbox right now saying the bar is so low. That is why you know the fans are jumping on like that, but the bar has been low for a little while now, and with the additions that they've made to the team, it, it's people are really drinking this Kool-Aid right now. Well, I think it's, uh, it's as a lot of things are in life, it's a combination of things. It's the team, and you know, it's maybe the fans aren't the corporate suits, and I also think I want to give credit to the Cucks themselves. Their in-game entertainment, they've stepped up their game yeah. a lot, and people are like, kind of make fun of them. Oh, it's Vegas light, but I'll take that. Like, if you look at the years past, their biggest entertainment was like, guess which cup the donut's under. And it's like, okay, cool. We've seen this 80 times. We get it. Like, now it's like actual fun things. They get the crowd going. And uh, music collection aside, like, at least the, the videos and even the intro to the season, like them killing a bunch of zombies on the ice. That was great. It got people talking. Yeah. People hyped. And, like, it just kind of creates. Gino gave Yeah, Gino's out there and stuff. <laughs> like, it's, it's creating momentum. And that's all it takes sometimes is getting people invested in the team. And then years past, there was like, you know, everyone loved the Sedins, but like, it took a couple years to get away from it being there team and now yeah. it does feel like this is like Pedersen Besser Horvat's team and it's it again that reminds me a lot of the 2000 team when like after the Messi years were done Naz and Bertuzzi Morrison and Giovinazzi were kind of coming together and yeah the first year they got in the playoffs they got swept by Colorado but like even if the Canucks made the team this year or made the playoffs this year and like had a good first round got swept but showed what that team did people are still going to get into this team so I think a lot of the momentum is so I'm like seeing everything kind of come together and you know long term success windows down the line but for now people are just happy to see a team that's fun to watch yeah. Uh, Harm, w- someone also in the inbox here saying when you adjust for competition and schedule, the Canucks are on a 91-point pace. Is that going to be enough? Uh, 91 points in most years would not be enough, but I think it's too it's too early too to early. Pro- project exact point numbers. Yeah. I think from the one thing to keep in mind is that um, if you do look into a lot of the data and, and compare Vancouver's schedule relative to all the other teams in the league, um, they've had the easiest schedule in the, in the NHL for October. And um, among the other teams that have had relatively easy schedules, um, and, and this is according to Dom Lushijan's model of the athletic um, and this is talking about just the quality of the opponents that they faced um, Edmonton's right down there with them and they've gotten off to a really hot start too and so um, and November the, is like a murderer's yeah November is, is a really tough test for them I'd say the one thing again as you mentioned which we haven't seen in years past um, Vancouver's notorious for hot starts but in, in those early winning days, they've uh, been accustomed to getting outshot and outchanced by significant margins. And so in those years, it was a matter of not of if the bottom's going to fall out, but when. And in this year, there's legitimacy. They're, they're actually controlling play at even strength, um, albeit, yes, they are doing it against some weaker opponents. Well, you got to make hay, right, when the sun is shining. And you got uh, the Panthers on Monday. you got a road game in L.A. on Wednesday. And 
then the week finishes off next week with a road game in Anaheim with a back-to-back the next night against San Jose. And, uh, J.D., you talked about it being a bit of a murderer's row. When you get to that San Jose game, you know, if they can get six points... Before if they can get all six points leading into that San Jose game, giddy up. But after that, you know you're home to St. Louis. Then you got Chicago on the road, always a tough place to play at. And then you got Winnipeg as well uh, on the road. Um, when you see this Canucks team right now, in terms of you know having to make up, having to get these points, I mean, you think that with those three, four games next week, that is, I mean, you got to get at least six of those eight points. Oh, for sure. I mean, you look at those opponents. That's that's yeah. when they have to make hay. Yeah. And I mean, like we we it's kind of weird. You want to balance out like not giving them a hard time for beating on weaker competition because they have to. They have to stack those Players points on the like, schedule, right? Yeah. yeah th- those points count the, the same as the ones they're going to have to face off against Toronto for in in December, for example. And I know you'll be really invested in that. Uh, but I mean, like. The you thing, just can't let that go, Kenny. No. Uh, but I think, like, by that same token, you bank those points so that you can survive stretches like this, so that we don't go through what we've gone through the last few years where you get into a November and they don't have that, that surplus, that safety net to, to bounce back on. So I, I think it does matter, and I think it's going to bode well for this team as they go through a pretty difficult chunk of their schedule here in November, which isn't just the teams they're playing, but how often they're playing. I think it's 15 games in 30 days. That's a lot. Now, J.D. and I just had a discussion with Travis Yost from TSN.ca, uh, and he has a piece up on uh, the website how Vancouver's top line is dominating competition uh, thus far this year. However, why it, it, it's, it's top-heavy at the moment, and you know, it's not. He's saying that it's not really sustainable. You know, just to have that one unit producing while the other ones continue uh, to be stuck in their own zone. If you, if this continues, you know, what sort of changes would you like to see? Like, is, is JT Miller perhaps better to be moved off that top line? I know we're always been trying to find the right winger for Bo Horvat. So, you know, before, I know we're getting ahead of ourselves a little bit right now, but these are the data that's uh, that's being shown out, and you know, we kind of have to go with what we're seeing. So would it be wise for them to, you know, perhaps make some moves? So to clarify, the top line we're talking about is Schaller's line. Right? Yeah. yeah. Okay, okay. Oh, yeah, just making sure. Um, yeah. And, and we're asking you, because as a Buffalo Sabres fan, yeah. you know a lot about top-heavy teams. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Jack Eichels. How about those Sabres, Wyatt? <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, obviously, we're not going to get too far ahead of ourselves. It's October. Um, JT Miller is a player that I've really grown to appreciate, because, yeah, you can use him. It looks like all over the lineup. Like, throw him in net. I'd be fine with him. Like, he seems to do everything. Um but it's a great thing. Like, say they struggle. Like, you know, with the way Green coaches, I wouldn't be shocked if Miller is moving up down the lineup. And there is a certain level of, like, when they're playing well and the top line is carrying things, it kind of makes everything rosy and shiny. And it reminds me of back in the day when, like, Tanner Glass was around. Like, he was not a great player in the fourth line, but the team was so good. It didn't matter. So there's a lot of things where the top line kind of hides some of the blemishes. But... The team is more, like, Benning says it every year, we have a deeper team this year, but this year is actually true, and they have a lot of parts they can move around. So maybe they struggle a bit more, maybe they have to make some adjustment, adjustments, but, like, it feels like this is the year where maybe they can, you know, survive some of those November days. And they, they, are, they are, like you said, they, they work out these points. And maybe last year, the easy schedule, they don't get these points. Like, there is something to be said about the way they're playing. And, yeah, sure, maybe they're leaning on that top line, and who knows, but... I have no doubts that that third line is going to be an issue, but for now, it's kind of palatable by the first line. So it's it's something, though, I think they're definitely going to have to adjust to, but I have confidence that 
they can, even the Utica, they've got parts down there they can bring up if something happens. Bergey's mm-hmm. waiting down there. You're like, mm-hmm. Goldobin's a hot topic, but he's down there. And maybe Luke Erickson wakes up from his nap and they put him in the lineup. There are parts to move around that maybe can, like, change the look. Yikes. I don't know about uh, Weekend at Louis. I don't know if you guys heard that. He's got three goals in him. He's yeah. got three goals in him. <laughs> um, Only if he's wearing the headband. Harm, when you see, like, uh, Tim Schaller doing. Tim Schaller type things right now. I mean, what, three goals in his last two games? I believe it. I mean, he played 47 games last year. I want to say it was at the 20-something mark at least before he scored a goal. Um, when you see this fourth line sort of producing the way they are, like, what's to be said about that right now? Like, is it just a matter of puck luck? Or are they is there data to, to back up the fact that, hey, these guys are actually playing pretty damn well? Well, part of it. Indeed has been a little bit of puck luck. Like that first Schaller goal shorthanded is like I was legitimately wondering if, if Thomas Trance had slipped Ilya Samsonov a 20 before the game. But uh, <laughs> in all seriousness, um, I think that line's been working a lot better than whatever fourth line combination they had last year. And it's pretty interesting because when I dove into the data on the Canucks' bottom six last year, the one thing that was really curious to me at the time, and I brought it up, was that when Beagle and Schaller had played together, they actually controlled play pretty well. They were north of 50% on both the shot and uh, scoring chance departments, which is important because last year the bottom six, just from a goal standpoint, was completely buried and got hemmed in their own zone all the time. And so that success is translated and carried over to this year, which is a very encouraging sign. Mott's um, fit in on, on that on that fourth line, and they seem to be doing a lot better just as far as being able to... It's so cliche, but it's working in, in through through these stretch of games where they're just getting the puck deep and they're wearing teams down. Um, they're making it hard for the other team to break the puck out of the uh, out of the defensive zone. And, and because of that, they're sort of... They're, they're kind of like a... They're neutralizing things. If, if anything, not a lot has been happening. I think they're... I think if you look from a goals perspective, they've been a little bit unlucky and um, they've allowed quite a few but if they continue to uh, control play and just territorially continue to spend uh, more of their time in the offensive zone um, I think they'll be okay but I'm that, that's a big if. Like, it's been good so far. I'm curious to see how it holds up over the season. J.D., your thoughts on Jake Vertanen this year? I mean, you know, he's got two goals on the season. Everybody, I did a poll, not last weekend, the weekend before that, asking if people are going to shotgun when uh, Jake finally does get a goal. 60%, I believe it was, 56%, something like that, said no, which I found surprising. Small sample size, only like 500 people or something voted on it. But clearly people are getting behind the movement again. And clearly people want to see Jake do well, but we're still seeing the Jake of old where it's just roller coaster Jake, where a lot of the times he's, you know, doing loop de loops, but going nowhere. I mean, uh, we're at a point where Jake Vertanen is what he is. Like he, he's, but what is he? Well, he's, a, he's, playing top he's six a complimentary right third, fourth line player. Mm. And I mean, we're, we're talking about somebody who is 23 years old. Like how much growth do we expect from now to the next four seasons? Yeah. And I think when you hear things like him not showing up to camp in shape, you hear the coach's dissatisfaction with his competitiveness on a night to night basis. I like we're, we're going through the same thing every season. Jake Vertanen is Groundhog Day. It's Groundhog Day. And I don't foresee a scenario where that changes. And, and what's more, as Harmon pointed out in an article for The Athletic Vancouver, any growth that we've seen from him as a point producer has come at the expense of his, 
of his overall game, his ability to control shots, goals, expected goal differential. Like, I, I just think he is what he is, and we need to, as a city, stop trying to shove this square peg through this round hole. He's not going to be Cam Neely. There's still He's those not people out there that Bertuzzi. believe it, though. He's not going to be somebody who is commensurate with a sixth overall pick. Yeah. He is what he is. Yeah. And and I think that when jobs are on the line, which, let's be honest here, guys, we all know the score. We know what happens at the end of the year if this team doesn't make the playoffs. I think that we're going to find ourselves in a scenario where Jake Vertan and you know, he, he could be a healthy scratch at points. He could Ooh. be on the outside looking in. Because, look, when Travis Green is calling out a guy's effort level, that's mm. pretty damning, don't yep. you think? I mean, he's not a guy who holds back. If he's saying that to us, what do you think he feels about him behind the scenes? And I'm not trying to sewer Jake after a, a, a goal performance last night. I'm just trying to look at the bigger picture here. Sure. Yeah. All right. On the other side, guys, we're going to dive deeper into the Canucks lineup. I want to know what these guys feel would be the ideal lineup uh, for the Canucks right now. Because as we know, there's a couple guys down in Utica right now that some feel should be with the big club. So keep it locked. It's the show that always scores rink-wide right here on TSN 1040. Shopping for a new natural gas water heater? Fortis BC makes it easier with their Trade Ally Network, a directory of licensed gas contractors. Search by appliance type, name, or location. Visit fortisbc.com slash find a gas contractor. That's energy at work. You're listening to Rink Wide on TSN 1040. Here's J.D. Burke and Andrew Wadden. Welcome back to Rinkwide. It's the show that always scores, our monthly edition of the Rinkwide Roundtable. J.D. Burke, myself, Andrew Wadden, joined by Harmon Dial and Wyatt Arndt here in the TSN 1040 studios. Uh, before we went to break there, I teased, hey, listen, I want to hear who you, who you guys' uh, ideal lineup would be for the Canucks. So I'm going to start down the middle. I think we know who the first two and th- uh, the fourth uh, centers are on this team. However, the third, the 3C, as they call it, up for debate right now. So I'll start with you, Harm. Um, people are, uh, you know, not not liking the Brandon Sutter train, and I don't, I don't, I don't blame them. Uh, his data doesn't show that he's a very good hockey player whatsoever. However, most people are like. Get God up, Godette up here. We want to see Godette. Look at that preseason. He earned his way onto this team. However, you got uh, different data that says otherwise. Yeah, and it actually comes courtesy of uh, of the work that JD uncovered last year, where um, JD he does good work. Hmm, I didn't know. Yeah, he he wrote a great <laughs> article that showed okay. that. You know, under under the surface, what happened when Gaudet was on the ice? He had among the most sheltered minutes in the league, and yet he was just hemmed in his own zone and dominated when it went on the ice. And it doesn't matter what measuring stick you want to use, whether it's getting outshot, um, outchanced, whether it's getting actually outscored when he was on the ice. The Canucks last year with Gaudet weren't very good at all. Like, it was very comparable to Sutter, and obviously Gaudet didn't produce a lot offensively either. Now, there of course is something to say about the fact that he's had another summer, he's He's young in the sense that he still has a little bit of room to grow, although people need to keep in mind he's one year younger than Bo Horvat. So he's not exactly not exactly like a fresh-faced 19, 20-year-old either. And people talk about his preseason. Well, I don't know how much stock you put into preseason. Like, I think, to me, Sven Berchi led the team in scoring in preseason and was sent down. And so the way I look at it, for me... 
right now, Sutter is probably like unless Gaudet comes it comes goes down to Utica, and I think that's the right move because now you give him an opportunity to play a lot of minutes, log uh, log minutes in all roles, and get his confidence up. I think you want to put him in the lineup when. There's an opportunity. Like I just don't think it's worth it to keep bouncing him in and out of the lineup, playing eight or ten minutes a night. Give him a chance when injuries inevitably strike, and and when when he is up and when he does earn a roster spot, let him keep that. But right now, I'm not sure if he's quite there yet because there's a lot a lot of work that needs to be done on his defensive side of the game, and the offensive results haven't really come at the NHL level yet either. Well, I mean, you look at the Canucks' underlying data right now, and who's got the worst shot share? Adam Gaudet. Who's got the worst expected goal share? Adam Gaudet. Now, mind you, we're talking about a Where's sample. Where's Sutter on that list, too, though? Well, he's right there, yeah. believe me. I mean, yeah. he, he's like, him and Jay Beagle are right at the bottom for Canucks forwards alongside Michael Furland, but what I think we need to come around to isn't that anybody is saying Adam Gaudet is a shoe-in better option than Brandon Sutter. What people are saying is we know what Brandon Sutter does. It isn't good enough, and it costs an additional three-plus million dollars. And we know that Gaudet has a ceiling that there is a small likelihood he can hit. I remember there were people talking about him like he's the next Ryan Kessler. A little bit wild there, but he does have the potential to become a reliable middle six forward. He's at that age where he needs the reps. If you can save $3.5 million to have that one line that you need to shelter the hell out of, I think that is what Canucks fans are talking about. They're saying we're a cap-strapped team with a $4.4 million third-line center that is getting caved in on a night-to-night basis. To what exact end are we doing this when there is the guy who's on an entry-level deal, one year younger than Bo Horvat, right there? Why, do you think that there's any chance that they could make some sort of trade to get Sutter out of town? I think, yeah, definitely. Like, we joke about bloodlines and name value, but the Branson just got traded for again. Like, there's something to be said about pedigree and people buying into that or that type of player. And we hear all the time the idea that, like, Sutter is his defensive shutdown center, which, if you watch, he's not. Like, I like him as, like, to watch him play. I actually like watching him play. He's got speed and has a good shot. But, like, in terms of we're down a goal, better put Sutter, or up a goal, put Sutter to to close the lead on, you know, it's like that doesn't work. Like, it's not a good system. And Goddett, when we saw him play, he reminded me a lot of a a world junior player who's kind of, like, chaotic and wild out there and like in preseason it was fine it worked but like I didn't see him as a Travis Green guy yet because he didn't like if we're going to rail Goldobin for not being defensively responsible like I thought that will be called to task eventually too but I do want to echo JD's point like yeah if you can get Sutter out of here like again nothing against Sutter like I know Green said we're trying to run him out of town people are trying to run him out of town but if you look at salary cap that you could possibly move he looks like the prime guy that you mm-hmm. could move and at least get maybe get a draft pick back right yeah. like not not a ton but like even if you move him that gives you cap space because Louis Erickson here till the end of time Sutter you might have a chance to move yeah like I, it's like we don't even need to bring up the yeah. Louis Erickson <laughs> he's sleeping in the stall anymore <laughs> just keep him at the press box yeah. keep the popcorn in front of him he should be all good uh, Michael Furland of course is a guy that uh, is a point of contention for a lot of people in this city some people saying no we need Furland we need the grit. We need to get him out there. There's some, even people suggesting he's got to be in the top six. JD, like, what the hell are they going to do with Furland right now? Because his give-a-blank meter is not high right now, and you can see that throughout the games. Well, you know who told us that his give-a-blank meter would be affected last year is Michael Furland. Yeah. Take the guy at his own words. He said that he was afraid for his long-term health. He was afraid for his career. This isn't the type of player that I look at and go, you know what? 
long-term investment sounds like a great idea. Yeah. And that's why when everybody was, was building a statue for Jim Benning this summer when he signed the deal, I was a little skeptical and maybe not even skeptical enough because we're, we're looking at a player right now who is struggling to contribute to the two-way health of this team, is being given every opportunity to in some plum positions, and isn't producing either. He's not, he's not doing anything for this team at this point. And I, we can talk about the flu, but that was like a month ago. No, we can't anymore. You know, that was a month yeah. ago. Yeah, no, we, can, we, we can't make that excuse anymore. At this point, you know, we got to start to see the player produce. Yeah. And, and it's like I said, I mean, you're watching games and you're going, where is this guy? Like, I, th- I think 79. I don't. He's I don't the kind of guy that's going to make analytics people hate him in the sense that, like, if they're, they make the playoffs, I could see him, like, finding, like, I'm going to hit my game now because I'm going to hit a bunch of people. And, like, he could, like, all the fans would get behind him. Like, look at Furlan. You rocked three guys. It's just what this team needed. Mm-hmm. Because, like, his style of play, even look at someone like Brendan Morrow, whose career hit a cliff and he goes down. Because, like, you play that kind of style, it's going to wear you down. And he has himself admitted. And, like he's getting concussions and talking to Eddie Lack a while ago he said like and when he played the Calgary Flames in the playoffs and like you know everyone knows the infamous furling controlling the Canucks like he's like I didn't th- I don't think he knew any better he was going around there running everyone hitting everything that moved and like you just can't do that all the time and I don't think you can maintain that pace so I think for him it, if he's you know, quote unquote saving himself he could still have an impact on the team if they make the playoffs now is it worth the money that's the question the debate like do you want to keep this guy just for that playoff throwing some hits and how important are hits that's a, another discussion but I can still see him being a guy that once the playoffs come around people are like oh man look at that Furlan go because like Rappi Torres to this day like who's a better player but like yeah. his hits really infamous in this town. So you have Furlan being the Furlan of old, even for a seven-game series. I think people are going to love him. But can we even say that we've seen one of these infamous hits? Oh, not at all. No, he's, yeah, like, if he's saving himself, if he's sick, if he's not, if he's still unsure, like, he doesn't want to get concussion, that's all out there for sure. And I'm not yeah. saying it's the right thing to do, but I can still see him getting his mojo and at the end of the year coming up big and people being like, it was totally worth it and everyone starting fights everywhere. <laughs> Harm, you're liking what you're seeing from Josh Levo right now, though, especially with the two-way game. Yeah, I think he's been definitely snakeman offensively, and I've seen a lot of a lot of people out there who are wondering why Josh Levo gets the minutes that he does in the middle six. And it to me, I I, I look at his two way profile going back to last season. Since he's come to Vancouver, the Canucks, it's simple. Forget, like, we talk about shots and chances, and he's doing a great job of controlling those. But at the end of the day, the Canucks are outscoring the the other team by close to uh, a 60% goal share when Levo's been on the ice. And wow. we're talking about a sample size that's now getting up to 50, 60 games. And, and again, because he's someone who, he wins every puck battle in the offensive zone. It's very reminiscent of the way JT Miller does. And I can't remember which exact goal it was, but I want to say it was in the Detroit one, uh, in the D- Detroit game. He won a, uh, won a puck battle along the boards, forced a turnover, sent the puck to Horvat, and it led to a goal. He got a secondary assist on that. No one's going to, like, in their head, no one, the casual fan isn't going to remember that play. But that goal doesn't happen because of Levo. So it's all the, and I know we like to make fun of the quote-unquote little things, but at the end of the day... Do we? It's it's making a legitimate impact. Any line that he's on, they territorially dominate the other team. And like you talk about, for instance, what JT Miller has done for that top line. A big reason that top line has produced is because Miller wins those puck battles uh, along the wall in the offensive zone. So take a hypothetical situation. Levo's a complimentary player um, on, on, say, Horvat's line. He wins a puck battle in the offensive zone. He... 
and he, and he just passes it off to the creators. That ozone time was created because they won that battle, but you won't notice it because Levo's not the flashy guy who's going to take advantage of that. So to me, I see Levo. I think he's a quality third line forward on a good team, and that's a valuable chip to have considering um, how cheap of a price he comes at. I, I'm just going to back up Harmon on this one right now. Josh Levo is producing as many expected goals, which is where you, you look at the volume and the, the location of shots to determine how many of those you'd expect to go in. He's producing as many of those uh, on an hourly rate at 5-on-5 five five as JT Miller. The difference, Josh Levo is shooting at 6%. JT Miller is shooting at 13.33. I expect those two players to meet in the middle, and then you're going to see the value of Josh Levo emerge at some point as we get on with the season. Where are we at with Tanner Pearson, guys? I mean, he comes into the season four points in his first four games, and uh, now he's gone six games uh, pointless. Uh, why? Where are we at with him? Uh, you know, this is the kind of guy that he's streaky. Yeah, we've seen it, but he does have the pedigree in terms of, you know, he's played on winning teams in the past, uh, but we got to get some more consistency out of the player. It reminds me a lot <clears throat> of the sense of Chris Higgins, who do the kind of the same thing, where he'd be a third-line guy, sometimes he'd play like a, a second-line guy, and he was very valuable in that role, and and also the kind of the same kind of work on the boards that Higgins had. Like I don't know if he has the same abs as Higgins, but like his work on the boards is is very good. Um, but it's a good abs joke. Let me have it. Uh, so <laughs> Jake's laughing to my right. But like he does, right? Like he does solid work out there. You don't notice him making a ton of mistakes. He, you know, he is streaky, of course. But like that work, considering they got him for a good Branson, like that is a right? glorious deal. Like in that salvaging sense. Yeah. something out of the good Branson, right? Like and that's the, and that's the thing about this lineup that impressed me the most. In that sense, is that they do have like the Levos and the Millers and and the Pearsons, the guys that like, they they can actually move them around the lineup and they could be useful. Whereas you know, there's not a guy that we're like, well, where can we shelter him to do the least damage? It's more like where can we put him? Maybe he'll give us a bit more, and that's a better conversation to have. And I have no worries about Pearson. I think honestly, that's the kind of player he is, and you know, streaky luck, whatever you want to call it. Like I still think he's a valuable addition to this club. Our our all of us of the agreement that Levo and Pearson are the kind of guys that you just keep in the lineup. Yes, oh, and I think you look at you look at the game last night in Washington. That Sutter line was used with. Pearson and Levo yeah. in and Levo in a shutdown role against the Ovechkin line and what happened Ovechkin's line they they didn't score they didn't score a single point and the Ovechkin line actually got outshot and you look at how that center line performed they territorially spent more time in the offensive zone than the Capitals and that's a, obviously you're talking about a single game but that's also the first time we've seen those three together and I think if you talk about wanting to shelter Brandon Sutter and give him more help given the fact that injuries and age are slowly catching up to him like Pearson and, and Levo are the types of guys who can make his life a lot easier because they can get the puck back for him and they help push play into the offensive zone and it can be sort of that camouflage line where they probably like if you're sticking Pearson and Levo with Brandon Sutter who's notoriously a bit of an, a black hole offensively well you're not going to expect a whole lot out of that line offensively but if they're able to just hold their own that's way better than what the third line was doing last year which if if people will remember, their bo- the Canucks' bottom six was outscored at a margin that was worse than any other team in the National Hockey League. So even if that third line is okay, then that's a huge step up, and that greatly increases the chances that they can make the playoffs. Yeah, it's like when we're in the break there, I suggested that one and four in terms of lines, hey, we're happy right now. It's the two and three that we're really having a problem with in terms of finding consistency, finding the right mix of players. Maybe Sven Berchi is the guy to come up and start to create some offense. I know you're, all three of you are nodding your head right Who's now. Who's the Sven Berchi guy you speak of? Right? It's like are you telling me that 
Um, the Canucks would benefit from adding a credible two-way winger. Yeah. With experience in the middle six that has displayed chemistry this, with the second line center over a four year plus span. To steal one of your guys' lines, if only there was a Sven Berchi that we could get. <laughs> oh, wait! Yeah, if only the Canucks had a Sven Berchi type player in their organization like Sven Berchi. You know, I, I feel like that would help them out. Uh, guys, uh, re- really appreciate the feedback in the inbox right now. Corey and Maple Ridge saying, great show, guys. I'm not even a Canucks fan, but you guys are killing it. Keep up the good work. Uh, Christian in New West, this d- in-depth uh, breakdown is awesome. Appreciate that, guys. However, on the other side of the coin, you know, we, we read them all here. I don't know what games you guys are watching, but Jake had two goals and three goal posts playing better than Levo Pearson Furland. Why the hell do you think he's going to be playing on Bo Horvat's line? for a fourth game in a row that is from Dennis so we do appreciate all the feedback right now and the best thing about this is the fact that it's like we mentioned earlier the passion is there like people are they want to know about this you know they want the breakdown of the third line they want to see you know what's going on in Utica why is Fenberchi you know not with the team right now so this is good I like this uh, in terms of the the fan Canuck base uh, the the fan base that is uh, really stepping up on their end as well All right, so one more segment to go here on Rink Wide. We'll put a bow on the show here and on the round table. So keep it locked. TSN 1040, it's the home of Rink Wide, the show that always scores. Now more of Rink Wide on TSN 1040. Here's JD Burke and Andrew Watton. One last segment to go here on Rink Wide. The show that always scores. It's Andrew Wadden alongside J.D. Burke and our friends Wyatt Arndt and Harmon Dollar in studio for our monthly edition of the Rink-Wide Roundtable. Uh, guys, uh, we're going to do some parting words here, but I do want to ask you, we're at the 10-game mark. I'll start with you, Wyatt. What have you liked so far from the Canucks? What haven't? What do you don't like, that is? Uh, I like so far, uh, Big Sexy Tyler Myers. I think he's done a lot better than I thought he would. Big Sexy. Big Sexy. Big sexy. Yeah, like he that. says one of his nicknames. He said it, not me. So I'm going to run with Are it. Are you sure you don't <laughs> mean to say big necky big necky big yeah. sexy. i went like, like he is a giraffe he has a tall neck and he yeah. sounds a lot like mike babcock have you guys noticed that uh, well we don't watch the leafs so i don't, oh, I don't yeah, know yeah. Yeah. <laughs> funny but they do get thrown down your yeah. throat though they do so, a lot yeah, it's true yeah, it's true yeah, yeah. one don't mention the leafs don't bring it up <laughs> mike babcock mike babcock yeah oh, yeah that's right one yeah. Gross. Yeah. <laughs> Got to reel it back in. Okay, back to the Canucks. Stroker, my man. Uh, Quinn Hughes, I, I thought he'd be good, but he's, I think, exceeded that. Uh, expectations have been great. Uh, yeah. I'm disappointed. Uh, Stetcher's ice time. I still think they're leaning on Edler and Tanov a lot. And, like, it, they're going to break. They do. Like, you know, knock on wood. But I think that that's, you know, a lot to to rely on them to survive the season being healthy. And I think Stetcher uh, deserves more ice time. Like, I think he got 13 minutes last night. Like, he's not getting a lot of ice time. And I think he has proven he at least, like, he's sure, third pairing, fine. But he deserves a bit more ice time. They can spread it out a bit more. J.D.? Well, I think that Quinn Hughes has been a, a revelation, and I think that I stand by what I said earlier in the program. I think that we're not that far removed from a world where he is the Canucks' best defenseman. And the fact that he's already at that point, we're at game 10 in the Canucks' season, like that is a, a huge boon to their playoff hopes. I, I, I really believe that. And uh, JT Miller being better than advertised, I mean, we're not going to get into the, the trade. That's That's a lost cause. But He's been an excellent player, and that that adds a dynamic to this team that we haven't seen yet. I mean, they don't have a lot of playmakers. They didn't have any before they traded for him on the wings. Now they do, 
and that adds a huge dynamic that has been lacking from this top six. Aside from Sven Berici, now they have it, and it's making a huge difference. To this point, obviously one bad period against, um, against the Capitals last night. Uh, excused, but the goaltending has been phenomenal heading into um, heading into the game um, last night in Washington. The Canucks between Demko and Markstrom had saved on average about an extra goal per game. If you look at, into a lot of the underlying data and just take into into account the quality and the quantity of the shots that they faced again, again coming into that game, second few goals against. The big reason for that was the play between the pipes. And if Markstrom and Demko can combine to give the Canucks top ten goaltending in the league, massive boon for their playoff hopes. Um, I've liked. JT Miller, I, I think that top line is really starting to get going. Uh, as JD talked about, Quinn Hughes has been phenomenal from day one, and and I, I think at this point, um, I also believe that he's not far, if not already, the team's best defenseman. And um, and Tyler Myers, I think the top four as a whole has rounded out really nicely. But uh, as Wyatt alluded to as well, I'd like to see the minutes more evenly distributed because I do think that you can't. You can't survive with Edler still logging 24, 25 minutes a night. He is going to, especially as we head into, like the October schedule has been fine. And the Canucks, I've liked that they've been healthy. Like we're 10 yeah. games into the season and we haven't had a knock on wood major injury yet. Like that's a huge thing for them last year. I think I saw something last uh, from last season where by this point in the year, Pedersen, Edler, um, there was just a bunch of guys already out of the lineup. So that's huge for them. But as we get into a heavier November schedule, I do do think that you need to scale those minutes back just to ensure that um, Edler and Tanev are a little bit more durable. There's those minutes that you want for Troy Stetcher. Yeah, right there. from Richmond. Deserves them. <laughs> uh, big week ahead for the Canucks, guys. Four games next week. They uh, start at home against the Florida Panthers. Then they hit the road for three games. L.A. on Wednesday and then a back-to-back with the uh, Ducks on Friday and the San Jose Sharks on Saturday. So, you know, hopefully they can weather through that storm as well and maintain some good health and get, uh, hey, if you can get eight points out of that, giddy up. But anywhere from five uh, to six would be great as well for the the Canucks. Uh, guys, thanks for everyone uh, chiming in today in the inbox, whether it was an email uh, or on text. We really appreciate that. Uh, four down four down footballs coming up next. Is that what it is, Correct, Croker? yeah. There we are. Four down football coming up next right here on TSN 1040. You know, in the NFL, one play can win it all. Well, in Shark Club, if you buy one Budweiser, you could win it all and go to the Super Bowl. With tickets to Miami, sign me up, Shark Club. Must be legal drinking age. No purchase necessary.